to all who grieve and are seeking comfort, to all who are weak and are seeking strength, to all who are weary and seeking strength, to all who are troubled and seeking peace, and to all who sin and are seeking mercy. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you uh, choose to use one of the church Bibles, uh, you find Luke 19 appearing on page 878. Luke chapter 19 is where we find ourselves picking up where we left off last, last Lord's Day as we're working our way through this magnificent third gospel. Luke chapter 19, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and pray and ask for the, uh, read this, the section of Scripture, pray and ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then uh, we'll work our way through this section of Luke 19, the triumphant entry. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you and we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit because, Lord, without him, we have no hope of seeing Jesus. And oh, how we need to see Jesus on this cold January morning. We ask you, Lord, to open our eyes that we would behold the glories of Christ and be changed, transformed, and made into the very likeness of Christ, and to offer to you a pleasing aroma, the very aroma of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever read the book of Ezekiel? Uh, If you have read Ezekiel, then you've seen some stuff. You read through Ezekiel, and six, seven days later, you're talking again, and things are right again. It's a crazy book. Ezekiel, in these crazy visions that God gives to him, sees God's eternal plan of redemption unfolding. 
four millennia before Jesus Christ entered the city of Jerusalem, which we just read, um, mankind rebelled against their creator. And the story of God's glorious plan of redemption began to unfold. God would deal with the sin of mankind because he is just. He would demonstrate the glory of his grace in saving sinners from their sin through his son Jesus. God chose a man for himself called Abraham. And Abraham fathered Isaac, who fathered Jacob, who fathered 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And a famine forced them to seek refuge in Egypt. And Israel liked to have lots of babies, and so they increased in number, and the Egyptians saw them as a threat and turned them into slaves. And they cried out to God in their slavery, and he sent to them a deliverer called Moses. And through Moses, God made a covenant with his people. He gave them his law, and his law would establish them as his people, and they would be set apart for his purpose. They would be noticeably different from all the nations of the world by the way that they would live and work and worship and dress and eat. The law was the terms of God's covenant that he made with Israel. And if it was kept, they would be righteous and they would, be, they would prosper and they would have peace in the land. God brings them then into their own land, which he had promised that he would give to Abraham. And they settled in the land. And in the years that followed, Israel failed to keep the covenant that God had made with them. And God would then discipline them for their, for their disobedience. They would have war instead of peace. They would have famine instead of prosperity. And God sent them judges, which failed to lead them in righteousness. And so then God sent them prophets and kings who also failed to lead them in righteousness. And so for hundreds of years, Israel showed that they could not keep the law. They could not be righteous. They did not want God to rule over them. Israel broke, broke the covenant. And so God just handed them over to the thing that they wanted. All of this is depicted in these crazy visions that God shows to the prophet Ezekiel. He sees God's judgment on his people for their rejection of him and for their wickedness. Ezekiel sees the glory of God leave the temple of God. And eventually the glory of God leaves the very city of Jerusalem. And Ezekiel says, I saw the glory of God stand on the mountain east of Jerusalem. After a time, Ezekiel sees the Lord himself gathering his people from across the face of the earth, giving them a new heart and setting a shepherd king to rule over them. And he sees the glory of the Lord return from the mountain east of the city and re-enter Jerusalem and bring peace to all of God's people. In the passage before us today, the Lord Jesus Christ is seated on the colt of a donkey, which he rides from a mountain called Olivet, east of the city of Jerusalem. And he goes into the city of Jerusalem where he is pronounced king and through his cross grants peace to the people of God. However, the manner of our Lord's entrance into the holy city and what he accomplishes there 
was not exactly what the people had expected. And so there were mixed reactions. Here's the big idea this morning. Devote everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord, the very righteousness of God, who rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey to restore peace between God and His people. Lay everything before Him. The glory of the Lord, the very righteousness of Christ, who rode into the city of Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey to restore peace between God and His people. I trust you'll see that as this passage unfolds. Let's look again at verses 28 to 35. And when Jesus had said these things, so this is connected to what has come before. When Jesus had said these things, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When He drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, a mount, a mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of His disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering it you will find a colt tied which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who went away found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now, there's no throwaway phrases in the Bible. Every word that's here is here. It's important. So, when Luke opens with this section with this phrase, when he had said these things, Luke wants his readers to know that what is about to happen is connected to what has already happened in Luke. And if you remember from last week, the parable of the Minas was told to correct the disciples' wrong understanding about the coming of the kingdom. It was to teach them that they had a stewardship. Remember, Jesus is going away. It's going to be a time in between, and they have a stewardship in that meantime, and then he's going to come back. He predicted in that parable that the king will be rejected. And so the king of kings will receive a kingdom and will bring peace. But before the crown, there is a cross. Before his coronation, there is a, an humiliation. The Lord knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew that he would be rejected, that there was treason awaiting him, that there was betrayal awaiting him, desertion, perjury, even death. And Luke records, he went on ahead. Jesus, this is the reason he came. He must give his life as a ransom for many. He, will, he has kept the terms of the covenant. He has been obedient to the law of Moses. He will absorb the punishment for sin. And at the mountain, east of Jerusalem, on a mountain called Olivet, he sends two of his disciples into a nearby village and tells them to fetch his ride. He says, go find a colt. It's going to be tied up. If anyone asks you what you're doing, tell them the Lord has need of it. And then, of course, that's exactly what happens. But I wonder if you find it as strange a passage as I do. Right? We, we, let me think about it. This is Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about this in a minute. It's really significant. So why all these details about, like, getting a cult and people asking questions? Jesus is the Son of God. He's the sovereign Lord of all. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Couldn't He have just made the cult 
make its own way to him. He could have made a, a colt out of thin air. He could have had one flown in on drones or something. He's Jesus. Why send the disciples to go get this in such a weird way? Well, it seems to me that Jesus wanted the disciples to know that his entrance into Jerusalem and everything that happens to him in that city, every part of it, has been ordered by his heavenly Father. It has been preordained and planned from before the foundation of the earth that every detail down to the very conversations of the people who own the vehicle that he rides are under his eternal decree. It seems to me that he is strengthening his disciples' faith in his divinity. You see, in just a few days from this day, they will see the Lord hanging on a cross. And Jesus wants the disciples to know that he is in complete control of every dark detail of Good Friday. He wants them to know that it won't be the nails that holds him to the cross. But it will be his commitment to his Father's will. That when he appears powerless before Pontius Pilate, he is anything but. Everything that is about to take place in Jerusalem happens according to the definite foreknowledge and eternal decree of God. And so, the two disciples obey their master and they find things exactly as there's a cult and it's tied. And they put on their little burglar masks and then they begin to untie it. Now imagine if you're the owners, right? You're sitting down to dinner with your family and you hear some noise in the garage and you flip on the lights and you find two fellas hot-wiring your car. What are you going to do? Well, I know what some of you would do. You would call 911 and tell them to come get two dead bodies out of your garage. That's what you would do. But this guy, these guys, they come to and they say, what are you guys doing? And the guys are like, whoa, whoa, don't, don't shoot, Okay. Um, I imagine them like sort of looking at each other and being like, leaning in, the Lord has need of it. Sort of like some kind of password, like they were in a spy movie or something. And I don't know, the guy's just sort of like, well, then by all means, if the Lord needs it, here's the keys. You know, you want the motorcycle too? But it's an interesting statement, the password. The Lord has need of it. It's someone else's cult. It's that man's cult. Colt. He fed it. He raised it. He cared for it. And the Lord says, it's mine. I need it. The Lord has the right to commandeer anything from anyone because the Lord is the owner of everything and everyone. Think back to the parable of the Minas. We are all servants. Anything that we have, we have received. So, Christian, What you own has been given to you to serve the advance of the cause of Christ. Everything. Down to, actually down to your very own body. Your mind, your will, emotions. Your very own. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you're not your own. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So when the Lord has need of your car, you give him your car. When the Lord has need of your donkey, you give him your donkey. When the Lord has need of your time, you give him your time. He's the Lord. It all belongs to him. There are many stewards, but only one owner. 
So whatever you intend to do with your life, whatever your ambitions in life, they're to be submitted to the lordship of Christ. They're to be leveraged for his glory. Your life, your talents, your treasures, they belong to Christ. He rides on them like he did that colt, receiving praise for his glorious grace. I mean, after all, what did Paul teach us in Colossians 3? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So this is why Christians, we, we work hard. We do our jobs well, whatever they are. From the smallest to the greatest thing, we do it well because we understand that we are not our own. That we're working not for that loser of a boss. We're, we're working for the Lord Christ. We're serving Him. So the two disciples bring this unridden colt to Jesus. And Luke says they throw their cloaks on the colt and set Jesus on it. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life, right? Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And like the disciples laid their cloak across the colt and set Jesus on it, we surrender our whole life to Christ to see Him exalted and to receive the praise that He deserves. And what an honor it is, right? What an honor God shows to us when He is pleased to use us, to use our talents, to use our treasures for the advance of His gospel. That when the Lord gives us opportunities to share the hope of His gospel with someone else. What an honor that is. What an honor it is when the Lord uses us to encourage a discouraged brother or sister. What an honor the Lord shows us when He gives us the opportunity to forgive an offense. What, a, what an opportunity, what, a, what an honor it is when we get to pray for our church family. Because what we're doing in those moments is we're effectively telling our time Telling our treasures, telling our talents, the Lord has need of you. You're not mine. You're not for me to increase my glory. It's not so that my estimation can be increased in the eyes of others. But it is so that the others will increase in their estimation of Christ. The Lord has need of it. You set Jesus on the back of your business. You set him on the back of your parenting. You set him on the back of your relationships and your investment accounts. And you say, be exalted, O King of kings, by this, my life. The Lord makes his way into Jerusalem, and he does so on his terms. And he'll come into the city from the mountain east of Jerusalem. And here we see what Ezekiel saw. The glory of the Lord returning to Jerusalem to establish the true temple of God. And he does so riding on the back of a donkey. Which is, is significant in a number of ways. Let's keep reading. Verse 36 to 38. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. 
As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. When, crown, when Charles III was crowned King of England last May, he rode a royal chariot into Westminster Abbey. This chariot, this coach, was it featured these ornate, like gilded wood exterior overlaid with gold. It was just beautiful. And when Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, rode into Jerusalem, he rode saddleless on the back of the colt of a donkey. It's a strange and it's a surprising scene, and it has massive significance. The disciples understood something of what the Lord was doing here, for the prophet Zechariah had told them that Messiah, when he would come into Jerusalem, would come riding on the back of a donkey. And so we have some time, if you keep your finger in Luke 19, and you want to turn backwards in your Bible to the book of Zechariah. Chapter 9, read a section of it. If you're using a church Bible, that's, uh, I have it here, page 797. About 500 years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah wrote this. Verse 9, Zechariah verse 9. 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I set Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you as a warrior sword. Verse 14, then the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwind of the south. This, the Lord of hosts will protect them and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. In the ancient world, kings rode horses to signify war and donkeys to signify peace. 
So Jesus does come into Jerusalem to do war, but it is not a war with Rome that he seeks. It is a war against sin and death, and it will mark the defeat of Satan. And our Lord's chosen battlefield will be the flogging post and the cross. And the horrors of war will not be inflicted by him, but upon him. And through his death, he will bring peace to the people of God. This king of Zechariah 9, who comes into Jerusalem, is righteous and brings peace. Israel over the centuries had shown that they were not righteous, not capable of keeping God's law and maintaining righteousness. And according to the law, there would be no peace between heaven and God's people. And so righteousness had to come to them. Righteousness had to be accomplished for them. And so righteousness had come to them, riding on the back of a donkey. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And so when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the glory of the Lord returns, just like Ezekiel saw. Zechariah had foretold that Messiah would be mounted on a donkey and he would cut off the war horse and the chariot. He would speak peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly what Jesus accomplishes in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Jesus entered Jerusalem in the springtime during a season they call Passover. The city would have been full of worshipers across Judea preparing to celebrate the Passover. They had come to remember the time when God had delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so the city would have been busy, filled with people, and word had got out about this Jesus of Nazareth. Messianic expectation would have been peaking. And so as the Lord is making his way down the Mount of Olives towards the Kidron Valley where he will then enter the city, the crowd spreads out their cloaks in front of him. The other gospels record that they cut down palm branches and laid them down, rolling out the royal carpet, so to speak. It was a Jewish custom during during the Passover season that worshipers would recite Psalms 113 to 118, psalms that are called psalms of halal. They were like the Passover playlist. They would give praise to God for His mighty acts of deliverance of His people. And so it is not by accident that the crowd begins to recite a line from Psalm 118 as they proclaim Jesus as the King. They're reciting Psalm 118 when they say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord which is why we read that passage at the beginning of the service today. But then they add this phrase, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, there's more to this phrase than any of them realized. If you remember from, what, a year and a half ago when we went through Jesus' birth, there was a multitude in heaven who cried, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, there's a multitude on earth crying, glory to God in the highest and peace in heaven. This crowd spoke prophetically because this man riding on the back of this unsaddled donkey would bring peace between heaven and earth. 
peace is a person. Since our first parents, Adam and Eve, broke the commandments of God and failed to keep the covenant of God for humanity, humans since have lost peace with God. Peace with God comes through obedience to God, and no one obeys God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the law of God could not give them this peace back. It couldn't give them the righteousness and life of God back. The Bible says that Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promises of God would come through faith. Faith in the sinless Son of God riding on a donkey. You see, righteousness that God's people desperately needed and the peace that comes from it would have to be a gift. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, that's what the big thing is all about. That God has sent His Son to be our peace. That because of our sin, our rebellion against Him, we've been cut off from God and we can't have peace with God. Something must be done. And the good news of Christianity is that something has been done. Jesus Christ did all the things that we haven't done to have peace with God. And He gave His life as a sacrifice for our sins. And when you turn to Him in faith, trusting in Him, God forgives you of your sins, unites you to Jesus Christ, and you are granted the very righteousness of God you're granted the very peace of God. So if you've never done that, do that today. And tell someone before you leave this place. We'll begin to meet with you and tell you what it's like to live a whole life in the peace of God. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey signified the kind of work that He would accomplish. He brought peace between heaven and earth by becoming the substitutional sacrifice for sin. But not everyone in Jerusalem understood this. Many outright rejected it. And so let's keep reading to the mixed results, the mixed reactions. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, notice in this section of Scripture, there are three reactions to our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. There's the reaction of the disciples, there's the reaction of the crowd, and there's the reaction of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, we've met them many times in this gospel, they reject the Lord. They tell Jesus to rebuke His loud disciples for all the things that they're saying, praising Him, attributing Him as King. Well, they understood full well what the crowd was saying about Jesus. They knew what Psalm 118 implicated. They understood who Jesus himself claimed himself to be, forgiving sin, claiming to be God himself. But their hearts were hard because they did not know Jesus. They did not know God. They did not understand the Scriptures. And the Lord says, and so they tell the Lord, rebuke. Rebuke your, your followers. They're, they're being too loud here. They're giving you credit for something you aren't. And Jesus says, if these were silent, then the very stones would cry out. You see, the Lord would receive the praise that's due to Him. Regardless of any praise to Him, He would receive praise. 
If God's people withheld their praise, the rocks themselves would announce him. The Puritan preacher Matthew Henry says that the rocks did. For when the Lord died on the cross, the earth shook and the rocks split, announcing him as king. The Pharisees rejected the Lord. But what of the crowd's reaction? Because the crowd here is, a, is an interesting lot. On this day, on Sunday, they cry out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. But by Friday, they cry out, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. On Sunday, He's the King. And by Friday, He's a criminal. And what changed between Sunday and Friday? Um, unmet expectations, I suppose. They wanted Jesus to conquer Rome as Messiah, not cleanse the temple. They wanted a deliverance from the Gentiles, not freedom from sin. They did not know the enemy, and so they misunderstood the war. And as a result, they turned on the Savior. And then there's the disciples, and the disciples aren't without their own faults and sins to be sure, but to them, Jesus was their everything. And after the resurrection of Jesus, they met Him on the mountain and they received the Great Commission and they became bold witnesses to Christ and to His gospel through the message that He entrusted to them. Peace with God would be given to the Jew and to the Gentile via their union with Christ. And so the question is left to us, what is our response? Which of the three will we be? Will we be like the Pharisees who reject our Lord outright? Uncomfortable with all these Christians giving him praise? I hope not. Or will we be like the crowd? Give our Lord lip service, but turn on him when he demands more. When our expectations aren't met. As soon as he starts calling us to account or asking us for things, requiring our time and our money and our talents and our humility and our patience, we turn from him. As soon as things don't go our way, we get disgruntled and discontented and we desert our Lord. Or will we be like the disciples? Will we take off our outer garments and lay them on whatever vehicle He chooses to ride to receive His glory? Will you receive His righteousness as a gift and enjoy peace with God through Him? Will you follow the Lord humbly into the heavenly Jerusalem? Will you lay down your pride and take the lower seat and count others more significant than yourself? Will you follow the Lord who rides a colt, the foal of a donkey, down the road to ultimate sacrifice? Will you be slow to speak and slow to anger and quick to forgive? Because Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem. Because the glory of the Lord has returned. Because the Lord has not abandoned His people, His people, having been united to Him, are free to spend their lives in service of His glory, free to set Him atop their business, atop their ambitions, free to set Him on the top of their families and their marriages and their singleness and their suffering, free to let these things carry Him to receive the glory and the acclaim that only He deserves. This is the freedom and the peace that has been granted to us, the children of God. Let us thank Him now in prayer. 
Father, we turn to you in gratitude because of Jesus entering to Jerusalem. We confess that we have failed to put Jesus first in our lives, that we have been like the crowd and often fickle. When our expectations have not been met, when we don't get the life we want, the marriage we want, the business we want, we close down. We turn off our worship. And so, Lord, please forgive us. Would you grant us the grace to leverage our whole lives, to lay them before you in all that we do for the glory of your Son? Let us see ourselves not much different from that donkey that he rode into Jerusalem. And our, love, our, our lives are vehicles through which our Master will receive his glory. And let us see this as our greatest honor for Jesus' sake and that his name would be exalted in all the earth. Amen. If you would please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. Your assurance of pardon today comes from Colossians chapter 1. Well, here we read that through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things God, whether things in heaven or earth, God has made peace by the blood of his cross.